live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 9. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal Season 9. It is of course the penultimate episode of Season 9, Episode 9. And we've hopefully saved the most terrifying incident until now. You see, the final experience that you will hear on Season 9 of The Dark Paranormal will run over the final two episodes. This is one massive true paranormal experience that can't be contained within one episode alone, and therefore we will begin it this week in episode 9, and conclude it for the season finale next Friday. I'm both anxious and excited to get to today's true paranormal experience, and of course conclude it next week, anxious because some of the details within are truly disturbing, and excited because, well... If you're a fan of dark paranormal tales, I know what's to come. And believe me, you won't want to miss either episode. It's also a good point to remind you that we do take a season break in between season 9 and season 10. And although we've already received many amazing submissions for our first season in the double figures, I do like to tinker with the running order of the upcoming season in those weeks in between seasons. So therefore, if you have your own true paranormal experience, please send it in to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. The true paranormal experience that we're going to cover over the next two episodes throws up many questions. It tells us about the equal dangers of both belief and disbelief in regard to the paranormal. And it gives a nod towards the fact that maybe sometimes our own family dynamic can be more unexplainable than anything truly supernatural. But one thing is for sure. The next two episodes may make you want to keep that bedside lamp on for a few minutes more for the next few nights. However, before we get to today's true paranormal experience, I need to thank our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a podcast that runs each and every week, even on the downtime in between seasons. Meaning, such as with the between-season break coming up, you will never miss your paranormal fix. And of course, in addition... The premiere of Season 10 will be with you before anyone else. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon, and we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. 
Megan Bunnett, Michelle King, Rich S, Lotus Lily, Ryan Holden, James Foster, Dahlia Mendez, Brandon Hawthorne, Kimberly Chaffin, JN, Nicola Davidson, Sabrina Catley, Jessica Looney, TP Crane, Ashley Winninger, Jonas Nesgard Jensen, Callie Scrag, Jackie Hawkins, Kundai Chirimba, Alyssa, Trisha Bailey, Carson Creech, Hannah, Dorothy Jackson, Ellen Petrie, Mary Malcolm Sanders, Kazim Damani, Tiffany Zimmerman, and Tina. Thank you so much, guys. Your support means the world, and I truly hope you enjoy all those early ad-free releases and, of course, the back catalogue of Dark Bites episodes. But right now, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and, of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we hear part one of A Mother Tormented. To this day, I can recall thinking that Mum was just trying to chase a cat out of the back garden. Making shooing gestures, running up to the back patio window and hammering on it angrily. Thinking about it, her actions must have been a touch more severe than that. As I recall the entire room of excitable children and chatting adults falling quiet and all staring over and my dad having to go over to calm her down before heading out of the patio doors. He soon returned, shrugged, and smiled and reminded everyone this was meant to be a party, turning up the music and picking up an overwrapped present for yet another game of Pass the Parcel. He handed it over to me to be the first unwrapper, what with it being my sixth birthday party but the party never quite found its rhythm again after that. Some introductions are due, I guess. Well, I'm Lorna, and I'm 28. I apologise for the length of this true paranormal experience that I'm about to write, but I need to make sure I get down every last detail, however trivial, so that your listeners can understand what I've dealt with. And I say dealt with in the hope of it being past tense. I have one daughter, Amy, aged eight, and Billy, my husband, who's 29. I've changed names and locations for the purposes of privacy, but all of the details are accurate. I guess my sixth birthday is the best place to pick things up from. November the 12th, year 2000. You see, my life, my family, my mother... Everything was normal, ideal even, up until that day. We were a family of three, me, mum and dad. A typical working to middle class family from Tyneside, in northeast England. My parents stood out a bit amongst the other parents of the kids in my class, as they were quite a bit older. You see... My mother had what was known, rather unkindly, as a geriatric pregnancy. Falling pregnant with me aged 44. Meaning at parents' evenings at school, her and my father were often mistaken as my grandparents. Mum, Sarah, being 50, and Dad, Paul, 49, whilst I'm age 6. It must have been a strange feeling walking into those school events and being over twice the age of the other parents. Not that you notice these differences as anything major when you're age six. The only thing I used to feel envious about 
was not having grandparents. Both sets having died prior to my third birthday. So I didn't have much, if any, recollection of them. I did have one auntie, mum's sister, Wendy. But she never married or had kids, so cousins were off the table too. I woke on my sixth birthday to the usual one present and one card, left secretly through the night on my dresser as I slept, as was the standard tradition. I would leap out of bed and tear the card open to get up my usual fiver, and then do the same with the present. The present left overnight was always something small, a teaser, if you will, to the main presents, which would all be spread out downstairs over the couch. I was a very lucky and spoilt little girl. I came down the stairs to banners and balloons, a table full of cards and presents galore. Mum and Dad stood in front of the fireplace, laughing and going, ooh, at each present I dragged to the floor and ripped the paper off like a wild animal. The table was already basically finished for my party later that afternoon. Loads of plates covered in foil and cling film. I remember Mum at some point later in the day telling me to go and get ready for my party, as people would be arriving shortly. So I ran upstairs to find my party dress laid out neatly on my bed and began to get changed. Mum shortly followed me up the stairs and commented on how quickly I'd gotten changed into my dress. I pointed at the bed and said, Well, you laid it out for me, so it was very quick. I can still see the confusion on Mum's face. No, no I didn't. I hung it in your wardrobe, she said, nodding at the wardrobe and folding her arms. I shrugged and skipped back past her downstairs. Mum's face kept that same confused expression when she came down the stairs. Being a sensitive child, I reached out for her hand and asked if I'd done something wrong as she looked upset. She smiled. No, love, don't be daft. I must have just forgotten, that's all. One by one, guests started to arrive for my party. Some just dropped off by parents and others coming in with their parents. And soon all of us kids took our places around the table in the back room. The back room was joined to the living room by an arch, so you could see into either room from either room. The parents all gathered in the living room, more or less leaving us kids to the back room to fill ourselves with jelly and fairy cakes. Mum and Dad would of course hover around in case anything was needed, drinks topping up, etc. And then the party game started. And it was in the midst of all this commotion that Mum raced from the living room, flicking her hand towards the back garden, her face drained of colour. Everyone stopped and watched her. And then she banged on the window. No, go away! She said, as I said earlier, at that point, unsure of what was happening, I just saw Dad go and check the back garden, and then the party proceeded, but without Mum. Dad had walked her upstairs and came down alone, saying she had a headache. Mum didn't seem right for months afterwards. She was edgy, agitated 
and never let me out of her sight. Her and Dad seemed to argue much more than they ever had before. But as summer came around, she seemed to lighten up. I wasn't aware of this at the time, but apparently she was under the care of the doctor for the anxiety that she was experiencing, and clearly whatever she was taking was working. My seventh birthday was due to come around, and with it returned Mum's agitated behaviour. It was a couple of days before my birthday when I recall inadvertently overhearing a conversation between my mum and dad. We've been through this with the doctor, love, said dad. I don't care, Paul. I know what's happening. I know she's coming back to get her. Even at that age, I knew the her was me. Who was coming to get me? Thoughts raced through my young mind. Maybe I was adopted. Some of my friends had even said maybe my parents were my grandparents and my mother was their first child who'd abandoned me. Was she the one coming to get me? The feelings around my seventh birthday were very different than the previous year. There was a tension in the house, a palpable distance between mum and dad. There was no party to be had this year, at my request, mind you, because I was terrified that whoever was coming to get me might make an appearance. The morning of my birthday, I awoke to the usual card and present on the dresser and came downstairs to the usual spoilt amount of gifts. And mum and dad stood in their usual positions, Dad smiling at me with his arm around Mum, who had one arm around her own waist and the other to her face, chewing on her fingernails and glaring out through the patio window. I feigned a smile and enthusiasm as I ripped through the gifts, whilst Dad would occasionally squeeze Mum's side to try and bring her attention back to the room. I'll get it, said Dad, and walked out into the hall leaving just me and Mum in the living room. I stopped with the presents. Mum, are you okay, Mum? I asked. Weird, said Dad, coming back in. No one there, he shrugged. It's her, said Mum sternly, and then stormed into the hall, throwing open the front door. The anxiety inside me exploded and I burst out crying and hid behind Dad, fully believing my mum had just announced the arrival of whoever was coming to get me. Dad sighed a dejected sigh. Sarah, he shouted after mum, then picked me up. Hey, hey, what's all this? No tears on your birthday, please, he said, wiping my eyes. Is it, is it the woman mum said coming to get me? I spluttered through sobs. What? No, no one's coming to get you, love. He placed me down. This is ridiculous now, he muttered to himself as he followed out after mum. They had a blazing row. So much so, I covered my ears and just wept until my dad moved my hands away from my ears and said we were going to go for a McDonald's. 
the quickest appeaser for most seven-year-olds at the time. Mum stayed at home. That night, I woke up to a sound in the corner of my room. Like someone rocking back and forth on their heels. I turned around and, as my eyes adjusted, I could just make out the shape of a person stood in the corner of my room. My chest felt frozen, like I was hyperventilating. They were just stood looking at me. Finally, I got enough breath to find a scream, and the figure came running towards me, arms outstretched. Then my bedroom door was thrown open by my dad, the landing light flooding the bedroom and exposing the figure as my mother who reached out and hugged me. It's okay, darling. I was just watching over you. Yet another blazing row ensued in the early hours of the morning. I lay with my pillows over my head to try and drown it all out. Not to much success, I must say. I heard comments from my dad about my mum needing more help and replies from my mum telling him he didn't understand and that... She's seen her at least five times now. Eventually, the volume dropped, and I finally fell asleep. Things disintegrated from there on in. By the next year, Mum had been in and out of a mental health facility, and in between stays, she was now living with her sister, my Aunt Wendy. This was how life stayed for the next few years. I'd see Mum on the weekends though she often seemed heavily medicated. I was never allowed to see her on my birthdays, though. Dad made that call. He said he didn't want my special day ruined. As I became a teenager, though, my birthdays, well, got stranger. The usual present and card I would awake to on my dresser just became a card. As expected with age, I guess. Money had replaced presents at my request. But on my 13th birthday, I awoke to a card and a £20 note ripped into four pieces and seemingly shoved back together on the dresser. I left it where it was and walked downstairs, confused to say the least. Dad was there in his usual place at the fireplace. A few token gifts lay on the couch and a handful of cards. Dad, did you rip up my card? I said with a smile. Now, he could be a practical joker, so there was a chance this was some ruse, but his face said otherwise. Eh? What do you mean? Come and look at this, I said, and led him upstairs. What am I meant to be looking at? He said as I quickly scanned the dresser for the now-disappeared ripped-up card and cash. There was a card ripped into four pieces just here right now, and the money too. Dad looked at me for a very long time. Looking back, I think he was wondering if maybe I was showing signs of whatever Mum was going through. Well, where's it now then? he asked. I kind of shrugged and we both silently made our way downstairs, Dad leading the way. 
He stopped halfway down, bent down and picked up a quarter of the card that had been on my dresser. He turned and showed it to me. Did you? The face I pulled stopped his questioning in its tracks. He walked down a few more steps and bent down again. Another quarter. We moved back into the living room and the two final quarters were there on the couch amongst the other cards. We both stood bewildered in silence until Dad cleared his throat and snapped himself out of the trance state he was in. How weird was that? He said in as normal a voice he could manage, whilst at the same time pulling out his wallet and handing me another £20 note. By my 15th birthday, Mum and Dad had officially divorced, and Mum was under the permanent care of Auntie Wendy. The day before my birthday... I'd had a serious discussion with my dad about wanting to see my mother on my birthday. He remained silent, then said he didn't think it was personally a good idea, but I was old enough to make that decision myself, and he wouldn't stand in my way. He was good like that, was my dad. That evening, though, I awoke to a sound I'd heard before that of someone rocking back and forth on their heels in the corner of my bedroom. I turned slowly and once more as my eyes settled, I made out the outline of a woman. I felt my chest tighten but didn't overly panic. It must be mum. She must be having one of her episodes and has somehow gotten into the house. I could hear her breathing Mum, I said quietly. The shape charged towards me, arms outstretched. I instinctively threw myself back against the mattress, and that's when this shape brought its face to mine. I closed my eyes, but I could tell it was an old face. I could hear the rasp in its breath, whiskers from its chin on my cheek. I couldn't move. I was completely frozen. She whispered in my ear. I sat up in bed with a gasp, like I'd had to fight to be able to move. I wasn't sure if it was a dream or reality. That's until the next day, when I visited my mother at Auntie Wendy's. Mum was as good as I'd seen her, although she seemed much more in and out in terms of attention. She hugged me and passed me a birthday card with some money in, though the writing was like that of a child. Auntie Wendy made me a cup of tea and we both moved to the kitchen area, leaving Mum staring out of the living room window. She has good and bad days, but the bad days are getting worse, love. Not sure the meds are a helper or hindrance, said Auntie Wendy. Wendy fiddled with her spoon. I don't blame you or your dad for giving up on her, you know. Well, I felt attacked by that. Well, I don't think we gave up on her, I retorted. No, 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 I don't mean anything by that. I just mean he had you to think of, you know. It couldn't have been easy for either of you, 
with her carrying on like that, banging on about that woman. Ah, here was an inn that had never been delved into before. What woman's that, Wendy? I asked. I leant further across the table and kind of whispered, Mum used to say she was coming to get me. Before I leant back and took a sip of my tea, Wendy looked all sheepish. Well, whenever this illness hit your mum, she became fixated with this woman she met while she was having you. She stirred her tea for the umpteenth time. What woman? I asked. Well, love, well, you were a risky baby, what with your mum's age. So she was on a different ward than usual. Anyways, this old lady, one of the patients, she used to come in and check on her. But she wasn't all there, I don't think. Wendy tapped the side of her head. She was all lovely at first. She used to wear an eye patch and was all frail looking and smiling all the time. But then she started referring to you as our baby. And your mum started to get uncomfortable whenever she'd pop by. Wendy glanced through to the living room to make sure mum couldn't hear. She leant forward. The woman in the next bed to your mum told your mum to keep her distance from her. Apparently she knew her from where she lived and this woman lost her own child in a house fire. The next words Auntie Wendy said sent a chill down my spine. Apparently, she went mad with grief and took a fork to her own eye. I shuddered at the thought. Anyway, she continued, your mum finally asks her, very nicely, to stop visiting the bed. While the woman flipped out, grabbed your mum by the neck, spat in her face and says, that's my fucking daughter. We didn't even know if you were a boy or a girl at the time. The nurse has dragged her out as she's apparently screaming, I'll fucking get her, she's mine, blah, blah, blah. Finished Auntie Wendy sitting back in her chair. Jesus, I reply. And that's who mum thought was coming to get me. Seems a legit concern to be honest, Auntie Wendy. Wendy sipped her tea. No, not really, love. You see, she killed herself in the hospital the day you were born. Sneaked a razor into the toilets. So there was never no threat from her. Just in your mum's poor mind. She glanced back at mum, still staring out of the window. In the following years, I'd always experience something unexplainable on or around my birthdays. Like when I turned 17, and as I was laying in bed the night before my birthday, just about to drop off, my bed moved about a foot away from the wall in one sudden push. Or when I turned 19, and I was waiting on friends for a pre-drink in the house, and there was a knock on the kitchen window. I reached over and turned on the outside floodlight to illuminate the back garden. No one was there. I peered closer to the... I felt the vibration on my face 
the knocking coming from the window just millimetres from me, yet with no one outside to be causing that knock. By age 20, Mum was in full-time care. Auntie Wendy was far too old to do it any longer. I'd moved out of Dad's and was living with my boyfriend, now husband, Billy. And we found out that we were pregnant. Dad was over the moon that he was going to be a grandfather. But I was in two minds whether I should tell Mother or not. But I decided that although she was basically in her own world most days, that she did have a right to know. And so, one afternoon, I visited the care home and was taken to the front room, which faced out to the garden. She was sat, hands on lap, gazing out of the window. I pulled a chair next to her and held her hand. She turned her head and smiled a genuine smile. Hello, darling, she said, and patted my hand with her other. I've got some news, Mum. I smiled back. You're going to be a grandma. Mum looked confused. I'm pregnant, Mum, I plainly explained to her. Her smile dropped. She squeezed my hand and started shaking it back and forth. Don't be like me, she said. She had tears in her eyes and then quietly started sobbing. Don't be like me, she repeated. Mum, mum, it's okay, it's okay. I smiled, stroking her hair and fighting tears back myself. Be stronger, mum uttered. Don't let her in. Don't let her in. She raised her voice on the repeated sentence and dropped my hand, turning her head back to the window and regaining her composure. I gave birth that December to a beautiful and healthy girl, my Amy. Thankfully, I had no strange visitors whilst in hospital either. My mum sadly passed away before Amy's first birthday, having never seen her, something I still feel guilty for today. Dad, however, got four years of being the greatest granddad on earth before sadly he too passed away of cancer. Similar to my own childhood, I wondered if Amy would remember her granddad and how loving and kind and protective he was of her. So I made sure to have photos put up around the house of Amy and Grandad Paul in various places so that she would never forget. We knew that, given her birthday was in December, and so close to Christmas, we needed to take extra care to make sure the two were never bundled together, and that just like every other child, she got two separate celebrations. So, on her sixth birthday, we arranged a birthday party for all her friends. It brought back a lot of memories for me, not very nice ones either, but this was Amy's party, and by God, she was going to be spoiled beyond belief. The adults drank, the games were played, and everyone left with a big party bag. Job done. The cake we ordered was huge, so I thought I'd take the leftovers into work for people. I stood there at the table, 
counting on my hands, the people and work to figure out the number of slices needed. Mum, what are you doing? asked Amy. I'm just working out how many pieces of cake I need to cut. Oh, okay, she replied. Can you cut an extra piece for her? Amy pointed out of the double doors. For who, love? There's no one there. There is, she replied, still pointing. That old woman with the eye thing waving at us. Amy started waving back. I thought I was about to faint. The next 18 months were the most unsettling and terrifying of my entire life. And, my dear listeners, that's where we will leave part one of this epic tale. The story will be concluded in our season finale next week, here on The Dark Paranormal. For our Patreons, I will speak to you again on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites. And for everyone else, I'll see you here, this time next week, to conclude not only this experience but the whole of Season 9. Until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next week, here, for the season finale of The Dark Paranormal. <laughs>